0: often approached by someone who is in despair about their lack of job search success and one of the first questions I ask them is about their conversion rate by that I mean how many applications have they sent off that result in an interview and how many interviews have they attended that result in a job offer almost everybody I ask is really surprised about this question and in turn I'm shocked that people would ignore such basic analysis. How can you work out what needs to change if you haven't dissected the numbers? Now, we're all familiar with that quote about lies, damn lies and statistics. But sometimes numbers can be your friend. On average, every corporate job attracts 250 resumes. Of those candidates, only four to six will be called for an interview and obviously only one will get the job offer. Now these statistics may be very depressing, but they're also very telling because clearly the greatest hurdle lies pre-interview. Here are three of the common errors. Firstly, applying for a job where you don't meet at least 85% of the core criteria. Second. Sending in a bad cover letter, or even worse, not doing one at all. And third, submitting a weak resume. Today I'm going to focus on the resume, and I'm going to highlight nine statistics from key sources such as Glassdoor, Jobvit, CareerBuilder, and ZT, so that you make it to the interview stage. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. I'm a career practitioner who's worked with thousands of clients over the last 20 years, so I've had quite a bit of time to think about career issues. Each episode, I pick up on an issue that takes my fancy. Some are extremely practical, such as episode 5, where I give some tips to graduates who are trying to win their first proper job. Other episodes tend to cover more big picture topics, such as podcast 12, where I discuss different communication styles and how they reflect relationships at work and interview success. In today's episode, I'm going to look at some obvious and not-so-obvious statistics about resumes so that you can audit your document against these statistics and make any necessary changes. The first statistic. Recruiters can take an average of six seconds to scan a resume. The obvious message from this statistic is less is more. If you don't manage to win your audience over on page one, your whole campaign is done and dusted. Every line on page one is worth its weight in gold and you need to be strategically ruthless about how you use each one. So on this most valuable of pages, don't do what I've seen. The young accountant 10 years into the workforce who listed all her year 11 school results on page one. The executive who took half of page one listing the professional development courses he'd attended over the years. Or the client who listed every job he'd held since university. I don't think I need to go on. As an aside, you'll find an often quoted statistic that says the typical length of a resume is one page. Now, I don't want you to panic. That's not the case here in Australia, where the average resume is three to four pages long. Mind you, I think those countries that prefer one to two-page resumes often cram the content in so that it's really more like a two to three-page resume. You just can't cram your content here in Australia. It's really important that you space the content out so your resume is attractive And easy to read. So inevitably, Australian resumes are a bit longer. And there are other reasons why they're a bit longer, but that's one of them. However, the fact that many other places in the world prefer such brief resumes is a hint to those of you who are attached to detailed content. No one will read it. You damage yourself immensely. Instead, think of the most short-tempered person and write your first page for him or her get to the point. Focus on achievements rather than responsibilities. They are much more interesting to read and they provide evidence of your value. Statistic number two. 54% of recruiters will reject a resume that isn't customised and tailored. Now, to a certain extent, how much you need to muck around with your resume depends on your power in the marketplace. A few years ago, I worked with somebody from the FMCG industry. FMCG is fast-moving consumer goods. Let's call him Ralph. Ralph operated in a technical area where there were very limited opportunities in Adelaide, and I was very worried about his job prospects. He ended up applying for a job in the mining sector, which is notorious, again in Australia anyway, it's notorious for not accepting applicants from outside of the industry. Ralph made the most minute changes to his resume so that he covered every single element of the job ad and the position description. At the time, I thought it was a bit of an overkill, but I ended up changing my tune his hiring manager told Ralph that he had never seen such an excellent resume, and Ralph ended up winning the role. At the other end of the spectrum, one of my good friends was an SAP software consultant in Adelaide. At the time, there was a worldwide shortage of them, and she literally had employers flying in to interview her. She ended up working in Washington, D.C., and I often joke that she could have handed in a half-page resume on a scrappy piece of paper and still get the job offer. That's the perfect example of market power. Regardless of whether your skill set is in short supply or not, I do recommend that you behave more like Ralph because a great resume does more than ensure that you make it to the yes pile. It makes the employer want to meet you. It makes them start to worry about what they might have to do to get you to sign up with them. It starts to swing the balance of power to you. Statistic number three, 67% of recruiters look for relevant job experience. Now, we've talked about how valuable the real estate is on page one. So given that, how much space should you devote to listing the jobs that you've held? A neat trick is to include a brief four to five line list with your most recent roles. That way, the employer can see exactly how your jobs match their job, but it doesn't take up a lot of room, and you still have room to sell your most recent job on page 1. Make sure that you keep each job to one line only, and I get my clients to slide it in under that top profile section so that we don't need another heading and it doesn't waste any unnecessary space. Statistic number four, 75% of employers caught a lie on a resume. I think it's blindingly obvious that deliberately lying is not a good idea, but I think it's often more complicated than that. Many people don't mean to lie, but they still cause the recruiter to think that they've lied. For example, your content may appear false if there's no internal logic in your resume. One of the most common of these lies is when somebody states they have excellent attention to detail, and then they include an incorrect date, or they make a typo, or usually more than one typo. Another is when you make an ambit claim to lots of skills that don't make sense given the work history that you outline in your resume. It goes beyond that, though. I think your content should gel with the impression you convey when the employer meets you at the interview stage. If I use myself, for example, most people call me friendly. Quite sadly, nobody has ever called me warm. So if I put that sort of a quality on my resume, there would be a disconnect when the person actually met me. There's no point describing yourself as nuanced and influential, for example, if your communication style is as subtle as a bulldozer the recruiter will think either that you're lacking in self-awareness or that in fact you're a liar. Statistic number five, 60% of recruiters use your resume to assess cultural fit. I find this really interesting. How can you possibly show cultural fit in a resume? I think many recruiters assume you have a good cultural fit if you've worked in a similar sector. So if few people would recognize the name of your previous employers, but they are from the appropriate sector, make sure you include a brief outline under each role to make that link clear. And whether you come from the sector or not, use language that they are comfortable with and would relate to. And your best place to find this language is to go and look at ads on portals such as Seek and get a feel for the language that that sector uses. Statistic number six. 62% of employers are specifically looking for soft skills. Unfortunately, soft skills are the most difficult to write about. But at a minimum, make sure that your content matches the seniority and the complexity of the role. If we take communication skills, for example, it's not very convincing to merely state that you possess them. Instead, provide examples that are linked to the job. For example, if you were applying for a senior government policy role, you might outline your achievements in relation to writing ministerials or briefing notes for press releases for ministers. As an aside, I think leadership is the most difficult quality to highlight in a resume. If you can, include appropriate statistics. For example, if there's been a decrease in absenteeism, a reduction in lost time incidences, you could make the claim that that would be linked to good leadership. If you can't find statistics, you need to paint a picture of your methodology in relation to leadership so that it causes the reader to want to meet you to learn more. Statistic number seven, 72% of resume errors come from the miscommunication of skills. I must say, I find it really hard to know what this actually means. I think your best option is clarity. Go and look at similar jobs, as I mentioned on a portal like seek.com.au, find out the exact language that's used by your industry, and make sure you use precise terms in your resume. Statistic number eight, 16% of employers want a resume to contain links to personal blogs, portfolios, or websites. This is a recent phenomenon, but I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's going to be a growing trend. But as always, you're going to need to be careful. Yes, of course, provide the link to your LinkedIn profile. And yes, of course, provide a link to an online portfolio. And this is particularly important for a graphic designer, for example. Personal blogs and websites, though, are much more dangerous. For example, a blog is meant to be written with personality so that the voice of the reader is very clear. You need to check if you've written blogs that the tone of your personality, the tone of your voice matches the culture of the organisation you're targeting. And if you've got a website or even a blog, you've got to balance selling yourself against appearing appropriately humble. If it looks like you've got tickets on yourself, it could work against you, particularly in a culture like Australia. Statistic number nine, 69% of resume errors involve missing accomplishments. I hardly ever see any accomplishments on resumes, let alone tight, well-written and targeted ones. I recently emailed the link to our excellent resume infographic to someone to give him a hint about how to write achievement statements, and still he didn't add any achievement statements to his resume draft. There's a simple formula that isn't that hard to apply. Firstly, specify an action you took at work using the past tense. Then finish with the result of that action and quantify this result wherever possible. There you go. Implement that approach systematically in your resume and I will be out of a job. To finish off though, I'm going to talk about networking and I'm going to make a confession. For the most part, our resumes are truly outstanding, and I think they're really important. I check every resume, even if I haven't worked with that particular client, and I don't charge any extra to the client for doing it, and I think it's because I can't bear for a terrible resume to go out into the marketplace. But even though I do this, and even though I think resumes are important, our clients hardly ever muck around with their resumes once they've done them. They get the feedback from the employer that their resumes are very precise and very specific, but they may not have actually touched them at all. Now, if you don't like the sound of that, if you think that that's an approach which is near enough is good enough and that's not you, then another choice is for you to create a bank of achievement statements in a separate document and you cut and paste them in and out of your resume according to the position you're applying for. But whatever you do, don't think that the resume is the be-all and end-all of job search. Stop tinkering endlessly with it. A much better use of your time is to get on the phone and arrange a networking meeting. So yes, of course, make sure your resume is an attractive and compelling document. Then leave it alone and venture out into the big wide world. One final word. Of course, accompany your resume with an excellent one page cover letter. Statistics highlight that 45% of people fail to make it to the interview because they don't send in a cover letter. But that's a podcast for another day. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share it or leave a review. At this stage, I'm doing a podcast every few weeks, and next episode, I'm going to talk about the all-too-common midlife career crisis and what you can do about it so that you still enjoy going to work. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. And I do a mail-out once a fortnight of videos, blogs and infographics. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website or you could contact us at admin at careerconsult.com.au. As always, I'm going to finish with my wonderful hashtag, hashtag why not be happy at work.